Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Dafa Shavuah as we study Mesechus Yivamas Peiches. Please uh, excuse, there may be some noise in the background today. I want to uh, just start Peiches with a little bit of a review from the Mishnah. The Mishnah, which is very exciting but uh, very tragic if it's a real-life situation, which you could imagine with people going to war and there's a lack of clarity, um, the busyness of what's happening, <clears throat> the trauma and the stress, and basically, as we see in the ratio of the Mishnah, a witness comes back and assumes, testifies, that uh, someone's husband has passed away. This woman then goes ahead and gets married. The Mishnah assumes, based on a Gemara later on, that a woman would do some form of her own investigation, which compensates for the Eid Echot, because generally we are only going to allow, especially in the area of Arias, we're going to allow only two witnesses. But somehow, with her investigation, plus the testimony, that satisfies. Um, the basis for this, as we're going to see in the Gemara, is to allow a woman to not be an Aguna, or not to get a woman to an Aguna situation. So we're going to come back and do some analysis of this. But I want to point out a very important uh, point that comes through this discussion, which is found on Daf Peches Amar Aleph. When we say Eirechad Neman Bisurin, there are situations where one witness is believed in Isurin. And this is going to be a situation, whether it's a man or whether it's a woman, it becomes the basis of an argument that's ultimately rejected. But it's the case as the Gemara says, Svarahu, Midi Dehave Achaticha, Suffolk Shachelov, Suffolk Shashuman. With the mission's case of a missing husband, the Gemara assumes, at least in the Havamina, is similar to that of a piece of fat that is possibly Chelev or possibly which would not be allowed, or possibly Shuman that would not be allowed, that would be allowed, I'm sorry, to Mehemon. In that situation, we believe the person. Now, what's going on over here? So this is really every single kitchen. In every single kitchen, we don't usually think of it this way. When you go over to someone else's house, why are you allowed to eat there? Maybe you would need two witnesses to testify. Or maybe the Vad, the RCBC, would have to give hashkacha on every single person's home. The assumption that is made is When it comes to the area of Yisurin, Everyone is believed. This is a very important Gemara in Masechus Kula. Now, I just wanted to raise, incidentally, that this argument really raises a question about why the need for Hashgacha. And uh, historically, you could actually find Shuvos and you could find arguments. Apparently, in Europe, they relied on this. You didn't have to have a local Hashgacha. But now when you say Europe, it's a very general term. I myself, uh, in Kashrus, in a different community, this was an argument that I heard. What do we need, Hashkacha? You're just trying to take the money away from us. The guys of Shomer Shabbos butcher. Now, what happened historically in the United States of America is, unfortunately, there were too many scandals. The Shomer Shabbos butcher wasn't necessarily Shomer Shabbos. And when you're dealing with profit margins, there needs to be what we call mirsas, a certain amount of fear that's imposed. So often you'll say, <coughs> a butcher would have argued, you don't believe me. The answer really is, there's too much at stake for us to rely on you. 
and it's going to be for the best of your business if you actually have a hashgacha. Where this became uh, more complicated, just to make this contemporary, is let's say you had a neighborhood, which the guy was the first butcher to open up, this small neighborhood. He was doing a favor, you know, because they wanted kosher food, and then all of a sudden the neighborhood expands. And now there's not just one butcher, there's a second butcher. This butcher sometimes wants protection. He claims Hasagas Kavul. And the Besden says, not only are we not going to protect you with Hasagas Kavul, because there's enough competition for everyone, but you're going to have to end up with Ashkacha. And this gets into a lot of the old Kashrus issues in the United States of America, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and you still see some of these things uh, more out of town than in town. But still, it's something that uh, comes up. And it happens to be that there's even a reflection of this in our own stores, because you could have the greatest mashkiach in the world, you want to be able to also have the butcher, who is a Nehman, at least if you think that he has the ability to be a Nehman. If it's not a Jew, then obviously you're going to put a higher level of supervision on top of him. It's interesting that when the Rambam brings down this halacha of requiring on two witnesses that ain't ever mishnayim. So you have to look into the Rambam, Hilchasishus. You could find this here in the Ein Mishpat on the side, Perachaf Dalit, Halacha Yudches. And it's within a broader context. Overis, sorry, Halacha Yudches, Amrlo Ishto, woman says to her husband, Shazin Satachto, she committed adultery, Birzona, willingly. So we don't listen to her. Because the assumption is, maybe she's just looking after someone else, so she wants the husband to release her. There's also an additional issue that a person doesn't make themselves into a Russia. But she does lose her ksuba. That ends up being like a kanas that's paid to her. Once she admits to znus, even though halachically we're not going to force her out. If the husband believes her, then he has to get rid of her. But it's not being done from Bezdin. When we say, that is a Bezdin operation. And that's what's happening in our Gemara. I just wanted to establish the rule for you. That she willingly had an adulterous affair. Then she is, he is compelled to divorce her. I want to again apologize for some of the background noise. I'm just uh, not in a quiet place today, and I wanted to make sure to get the shear out. This Gemara is really amazing because after going through a bunch of exercises and a bunch of different cases to try to establish where you see Eidecha Nehman Bisurin and why you'd, how you'd be able to reconcile that with, let's say, the Rambam that I read you before of Eint Pachas Mishnayim. These are very strong rules. So what's the basis? So we end up relying on an amazing statement by the Gemara. Mishamiguna Akil Barabanan. That even though we're dealing here with the rices, 
out of concern that the woman would be left in Aguna, the Chachamim were lenient. Now Rashi tries to justify this by saying, called the Makadesh adapted Rabbanan Makadesh. That even though it's true that Kiddushin, which again formed this relationship, a woman becoming Zanacious Ish already at Erison. You don't need Nasuan for that. This goes back to our discussion earlier, why today we do the Erison and the Nasuan together. You don't want to have an Aguna as well as other issues, especially when there's such a break between the Erison and the Nasuan. So since the Chachamim are affirming, or it's based on their knowledge that every Ayerson takes place, even though it's a Daraisa, so therefore on the way out, you're able to rely. Mishum Iguna Akilu Barabanan. And we also have to take light of Rabbi Zeyer's statement. Rabbi Zeyer is saying that it's incredible that we're so strict if the husband ends up coming back, which sounds like it's kind of undermining this leniency. But at the end of the day, the leniency still applies. And the contemporary application of this is very relevant because we do try to be as mako as possible for Naguna. That's what the Gemara is establishing. But it still has to be within a certain context of halacha. And you don't want to end up having in a community where, let's say, one segment or one rav or one small group of rabbanim are, rela- are saying aguna is released and using this gemara as a basis, but it's not as strong enough, it doesn't have a strong enough halachic framework. And then you end up with the mamzer in the community or Suffolk mamzer, and then you really mess things up. Now, this doesn't solve the aguna issue that we have today, which is a real issue, but you just see the sensitivity. What's also very fascinating and would need more insight, which I didn't do a lot of investigation into, is the woman's investigation. Like, what exactly does that mean? Because according to some of the Rishonim, that's the only way that this whole aguna leniency is operating, because we're going to assume that she also is operating. Now, that's still not going to be the same as to Adam seeing that he died. And again, when we have two agents that made a mistake and said that the guy died, they're not making up anything. It's what they thought they saw. You could see in a battle, a military battle, a mistake could be made. Then uh, you have basis, of course, that she's not going to be an Aguna. A lot of these questions came up after 9-11. Um, how do we testify that someone died tragic situations. Rabbi Reese, who's now in Chicago, did a lot of work on this. Rabbi Willick did a lot of work on it. And what's the use of DNA? What's the use of... Uh, they found DNA, right? If you have video that saw somebody go up and not come down, and there was a lot of flexibility. Um, Rabbi Vadya Yosef was very famous after the 1973 war, when there were many Agunot to come up with as many leniencies as possible. So you hear that uh, the rabbis aren't doing enough. Maybe they could do more, but I know a lot of Rabbanim who try so hard, Rav Shechter, etc. The pain of the Rabbanim when we see that someone is locked up. So we have this principle, Misham Iguna Akil Barabanan. We just have to be able to use it in the right context. And again, I gave you a whole bunch of practical applications of this. Um, sometimes it takes protesting in front of the house. There's an organization, Aura. We try to avoid any situation of that 
Iguna by having prenups that are signed. So you see this one line is uh, such a relevant line today, but it's all a workaround of what we established of Ein Davashe Be'ever, Pachos Mishnayim. On Peiches Amit Aleph, Rav seems to make a very uh, strange statement. That if this woman remarries by the testimony of two witnesses, she need not leave, even though the first guy comes back. So how's this possible? So when this word gets to Eretz Yisrael, the Gemara says, They uh, laughed at him, respectfully or not. The first husband has come back, he's standing before us, and you say that she doesn't have to leave a second? How's it possible? So Rav says, it's a case. We don't recognize the man. The Gemara ends up explaining that's a situation where even if you had two witnesses who came and they said they were with this guy from the beginning to the end, but he's not, right now not recognizable. His appearances have changed. And the Gemara says, if you don't believe that, look what happened with Yosef. Yosef is We see that Yosef was not recognized. After all the years, he ended up growing a beard. So I just want to show you how this is brought down. Such a wild case. In the Chashuk Echemed, we'll end off with this somewhat humorous uh, situation. And just the reality, you know, I guess people today, they try to, uh, maybe through plastic surgery or other ways to escape from the government, they're going to change their looks. Is it the same person? Is it not the same person? And how do you establish it? So we're not going to go through the whole analysis, but I want to at least share the tshuva with you. So a case comes to Rav Zilberstein, and I always assume that these cases are uh, true. Rav Zilberstein's very, very dynamic, rough in Eretz Yisrael, and he has many different svarim. This is from the Chashuk Echemet on Meseches Yivamis. There's also um, some books that have been translated into English, What If? It's very exciting on the parish. You can read at the Shabbos table about cases and how to apply the halacha. So a guy ends up, um, unfortunately, sounds like a criminal, and he leaves Eretz Yisrael, and he wants to come back to Eretz Yisrael to be with his family. Now, Rav Zilberstein's not getting into the issue over here of dealing with the authorities. He's not telling the guy to be a Ghanav, obviously. But the question that he raises, based on our Gemara, is the guy goes out of town, he has plastic surgery, and he comes back. And the problem is that he still has the same voice. So he's clearly going to be recognizable to authorities or to people that are after him. But what Rav Zilberstein does with this is he goes back to the Gemara and he asks the question about Yosef. Like, how do the brothers not recognize a voice? He assumes that a voice is still going to be recognizable even after many years. And he hangs on to the Rashbam who says that Yosef was talking through an interpreter and therefore a Maturgaman and they never heard Yosef's voice. So this becomes an issue, I guess, in halacha, if you have a person who looks totally different, but his voice is still the same, then that would be enough of an aidus. Let's say you have two people that could end up giving uh, testimony.
he also says if you speak a different language, then maybe your voice comes across differently. And uh, his suggestion to this guy coming back to Israel, again, he's not telling the guy not to um, show up to authorities, but at least maybe when he first comes back and he has to consult with his lawyers, <coughs> he should speak it in English if he learned English when he, he went to America. Lemaisa, Lemaisa as this is, just a very fascinating application of the Gemara. Have a great week of learning.